Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you that we can gather in your presence and that we can worship you. And we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy to celebrate you and what you've done in our lives. Lord, as we would turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would not only give us information this morning, Lord, but that you would form and shape us by the inspiration of your spirit to walk in you. We thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you care about the issues and the worries that we face. And so as we look at your word, would you come and meet us in this place and minister to our hearts, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, we're heading into 1 Thessalonians. And uh, just a little bit of background, probably before we jump into the passage itself. We're picking up, this would take place kind of concurrently in the middle of Acts, where Paul and his friends have been traveling to various cities in Asia Minor, and they're telling people about the risen King Jesus. And uh, after about a month of sharing the good news of Jesus in Thessaloniki, there's now a large number of Greek and Jewish converts who have given their lives to Jesus, and they formed the first Christian community in the city. Uh, but things are not going well. Paul's announcement uh, that Jesus is the true king and the true Lord has led to some thinking, well, it's, it, aren't these people then revolting or turning against Caesar? Because Caesar is Lord. They're in the Roman Empire, of course, and Caesar was thought to be a divine sort of figure, one whom you, you maybe you don't worship him outright, but there's divine honors given and yet here's a group saying no no there's a different lord and he's alive and he is true and so paul's announcement of jesus has led to persecution for this new church and it got so bad that paul and silas had to flee the city and later on they send timothy back uh, to kind of scope things out and see how the new christians are doing and timothy then returns to paul and gives a good report that the church is actually thriving, even though there's still persecution going on. And so Paul has now received that report, and he's writing to the Thessalonians to reconnect with them, because their time together got kind of cut off short, but also to encourage them in their growing in Jesus, and then to also challenge them to continue on. And so Paul splits the letter into, into two big parts. There's the first part, which is just Paul's, again, his encouragement that they've done well, even in the midst of persecution. And then the second part is a sort of a challenge to continue to grow. And then you have a prayer at the front end, a prayer between the two sections, and a prayer, uh, a final prayer, kind of summarizing the book. And uh, so that's kind of the structure of the letter. Today we're just going to look at chapter one. And, and I had originally thought when we, when we got this text, I originally thought that I would preach on on Paul's threefold statement in verse 3 because there's just something really really good about it where he says remembering before our God and Father your work of faith labor of love and your steadfastness of hope and I thought well that that's easy as a sermon right three points good to go faith hope love easy and that's a, <laughs> it is a really good theme and it'll come up it'll come up later in fact the hope especially comes up uh, several times in First Thessalonians uh, because the return of Jesus comes up as a theme in each chapter. And so we'll see that a few times. But instead of, of a three-point sermon on faith, love, and hope, 
I want to focus instead on one key idea, and that is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms our lives. When we come to know Jesus, he changes everything. It actually makes a difference in our lives. It made a difference for these Thessalonians. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, that when we encounter Jesus, when we come to faith in God, we can expect him to change and transform us. Jesus transforms us. And I want to make that point uh, in three ways this morning, three aspects of our transformation in Jesus, we could say. The first is we're transformed to be in God. The second is that we are transformed before God. And the third is that we are transformed with God. And we'll go into each of those in our time together this morning. So the first is that we are transformed to be in God. Look again at verse 1. And all of these are just going to be from the first verse this morning. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In God. Now this is actually a little bit unique. Sometimes Paul will talk about the church of God that it's God's church. But here to a people in persecution, Paul reminds them that you are in God. You might say, well, what's the difference? It's just a preposition difference. What's the big deal? Well, I was reflecting on this, and I was reminded of a story that a professor of mine told uh, while I was in school. And this professor had been going around to different Bible colleges and different uh, Christian universities and asking the presidents what is your, your primary aim? What's the, what's the goal at the end of the day that you desire for the students at your institution? And he said, without, without fail, nearly all of them said, our ultimate goal is that our students would grow to be like Christ, would grow to be like Jesus, to grow in Christ-likeness. And, and my friend, the professor, he said, well, that's all well and good. Yes, we are to be like Christ. We're to be shaped and formed to be more and more, to look like Jesus, to take on his character, to imitate him. But then my professor made this important point. He said, actually, though, Jesus himself invites us into something much deeper and much closer than to simply be like him. He invites us to be in him. You may think of a passage like John 15, where Jesus tells his followers, I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you. Later in John, Jesus also says this, that he's come to make his home in us. That the Father and the Son come to make their home in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we're called to abide in the life of the triune God. And when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus, God comes to abide and live within us. See, abiding in God means to, to endure or to remain in him. And Je Jesus says we're the, we're the branches who remain organically connected to him who is the vine. Uh, a few, well, it's been more than a few years ago, but back before I was pastoring when I worked at a tree nursery, nearly every summer there was a grafting project that would happen. Uh, and the new Zions would be grafted, so they would like have a bunch of trees, and then they would cut off the extra branches, and then make a little slit, and they would put in the new Zion, and put it in, and then they would wrap the thing, and like 
mix it with like tar pitch stuff to keep it on. And the idea was to graft the new, like the this thing over here onto this thing that had its roots and its steady growth over here. And so much so that the new piece that was getting grafted on would become part of the tree, right? This is what you do with trees. You can do this sort of thing. So much so that the new little piece that was being taken into the new tree needed to become one with that tree. It needed to take into itself the sap, you might say, and the energies and the, the nutrients that would come from that tree to go into the new little bit that had been grafted in. You might put it this way, that the lifeblood of the tree, if you will, needed to flow into that fresh little grafting. And likewise, when we are transformed and encounter Jesus, we are grafted into him. We experience his life and his spirit. You could say the, the sap of who he is, the one who is the vine flowing into us as we remain in him. And it's a picture of God's abundant love for you. That the love of God flows into you and gives you life. That's what happens when we encounter Jesus. We're grafted into the one who is the vine. And that's why it's so tragic when we reject Jesus, because we are quite literally rejecting the one who gives us life. We're quite literally choosing death, whereas in Jesus we're connected to the source of true abundant life. And you know, trees are healthy when they are rooted in something other than themselves. And in the same way, we are meant to be rooted in the rich soil and life-giving water and sunshine of the triune God. We're made for this. Jesus puts it this way in John 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, right? If you're rooted in me, if you're rooted in me and what I teach, you'll be transformed. And so these Thessalonians are being reminded they are in the midst of persecution. You are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not just of God. You're not just sort of loosely affiliated with God in some way. No, you are abiding and remaining and rooted and grafted into the very love of God. And friends, this morning, so too are we. We're made for this. I'm taking a class right now on, on spiritual practice in Christian leadership, and we were discussing this idea of being invited into the life of God. Um, and there was just a, a great moment where uh, the guy who was teaching the class was reminding us, you are beloved by God. You can rest in the love of God. No one else in all of creation has been made to be just like you. You are part of God's redemptive hope for the world in that he has made you and loved you and brought you into relationship with himself. It's the embracing love of God that sustains us. And God has invited you even though you are sinful and even though you've fallen, he has brought you into redemption or longs to bring you into redemption. It's God's inextinguishable love for you that has brought about your rescue. And his love is the only hope for our lives. And so, friend, this morning you are created to abide in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the transformation that the gospel makes in our lives. Or as another author put it, 
He said, when we come to Jesus, we don't find a new life. Rather, a new life, the life of Jesus finds us. And this changes everything. And so that's the first point I wanted to make this morning, is that we are transformed in God. In God. We have a new relationship with him. The second point I wanted to make is that we are transformed before God. And what I mean by that is this, where once we were sinners, separated from a holy God, now through Jesus, through the risen Lord, we've received, what's the first thing he says to the Thessalonians? Grace. Grace to you. Not only are you in God, but now grace to you. Instead of being condemned and guilty of sin, God pardons us and cleanses us and restores us by his grace. It's God's grace that changes our standing before God. Without his grace, it's like we're driving in a car in a dark night in the fog and we're speeding ahead, unaware of what's coming up and we are hopelessly lost in the dark and there's a cliff looming just ahead. And that cliff is called judgment. And on our own, by our own devices, we can't lift the fog and we can't necessarily stop the car either. All of our good intentions and our good works won't change that situation. God himself needs to come and intervene and do something. And it's the grace of God, the grace that Jesus has come and lay down his life for us, for you and for me at the cross, that lifts the fog and gives us the opportunity to go in a new direction. Second Corinthians says, God made him, Jesus, who did not sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God himself has come and lifted the darkness of the fog in our lives by his grace. Now he calls us to stop the car and to repent, to turn around from the way in which we were going and to pursue him. It's a sheer gift of God's grace. And so first, we're transformed in God. We're delighting in who he is and his love for us. But secondly, we're transformed before God. We're no longer standing condemned and convicted, but by God's grace, you can be set free and forgiven. And finally, thirdly, we're transformed with God. And here I want to look at the, the second word that Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, which is peace. Grace and peace. Peace describes a new relationship with God, doesn't it? Where sin brings war and destruction in our lives and brokenness, wrecks havoc in our relationships with ourselves and our relationship with other people and our relationship with God. It separates us from God. Through Jesus, we receive the peace of God, that our relationships can actually be made healed and whole. Not just our relationship with God, but even, ideally, in some measure, our relationships with other people can start to experience the peace of God. We can be mended, no longer dominated by sin. What does Philippians 4, 6 say? It says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. So the gospel transforms us, folks. We are transformed to be in God. We're transformed in our relationship before God, and we're transformed with 
God, to be abiding in him, forgiven by his grace, at peace with him and with ourselves. And because of all of that, we can then respond. We can respond with verse 3, with work of faith and with a labor of love and with a steadfastness of hope that Christ will come again and our future is secure. And that gives us hope to live out faith and love here in the present in the myriad of ways in which he's called you and the myriad of situations in which he's planted you in whatever season of life you're in right now. And like the Thessalonians, each and every one of us are called, as they are in verse 9, to turn away from idols and to turn to serve the living and true God. This is the hope and foundation for each of our lives, that we're transformed to be abiding in God, forgiven by the grace of God, newly made before him and at peace with God. So, all that said, what about you today? How can you live that out? Well, the first thing to ask, of course, is how have you responded to the message of the love of God? The Thessalonians responded and embraced Paul's message for them, and it transformed their lives. They turned away from their idols. They turned away from the stuff in their life that wasn't pleasing to God and chose to follow him, the true and living God. If someone were to look at your own life and, and maybe the, the stuff that you spend time doing, would it be obvious or clear to them that God was first in your life? Or would it seem that there was maybe some other idol that had your focus or attention? That's a hard question. The other question is this. Are you, are you still driving in the dark and the fog? Or have you received the grace of Christ? Have you heard that message? And maybe you've heard it, but you haven't chosen yet to turn the car around. But he invites you to do that this morning. And to repent of our sins and to come back to him. Perhaps for some of us, we don't seem to have any idols in our lives and we've been following Jesus for years and things are going okay. But let's remember even so that we're called to rest and abide in the very love of God. That this is the source and the hope of all of our lives. That all that we say and do needs to come from this very point. That we're beloved by him. And so is the one that he's put me in contact with. That the person across from me is also God's beloved. That changes how I respond to that person. He wants to graft me in and to fill me afresh with his living presence, just like those little graftings in the tree. And so today, may we, may we ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his spirit, that we would remember and respond to Jesus' call to abide in him, that we would live out the grace that he's given us, that we would know a measure of the peace that we can have. And in that place then, transformed by Jesus, we can have an assurance that he's got us, that he's got you, and he loves you, and he wants to make his home in you. Let's pray to that end as we come to the table this morning. Jesus, I want to thank you for the hope and the life that you give us. Lord, I thank you that you came to deal with our sins and you, you came to deal with our sins so that we could enter into new life and relationship with you. And so Lord, this morning, 
I pray as we come to this table that it would be a reminder, a fresh reminder, Lord, of your grace in our lives. A reminder that this is where our life is sustained, here by your body and your blood, here in the confession of faith. This is who we are, Lord. And we pray this morning, Jesus, that you would uh, help us to abide in you, to choose daily to come to the living water. Lord, that we would rest in the assurance that in you, we are no longer convicted and condemned, but our sins are washed away. And that, Lord, in you we can find peace for our relationships. Our relationship with you, with others, and even with ourselves. Lord, you transform and change everything. Sometimes we're slow to come along in that process of transformation. But, Lord, you're so patient with us. So, Jesus, this morning, as we come to this table... Lord, may it be a, a declaration as we would come that our hearts are this, that we long to abide in you, Lord. And we ask that you would forgive us of the many times that we have failed to do that. Lord, would you come and uh, by your grace reassure our hearts this morning all that you've done for us, that we may abide in you. In your name, amen.